All right. Welcome, everybody, to the first connection show of the legislative seminar. But it is the seventh connection show of the leadership conference. Yeah. We are so glad you're all here. I'm Cindy, and I'm here with Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, we do have a couple of our committees here to share with us. But before we get to them, I think we should go over the mini mall stuff again. Um, if you are interested in any of the stuff that we're going to talk about here this morning or this afternoon, gosh, it's 1230. <laughs> I'm serious. It feels like morning still to me. <laughs> but um, if, if you're interested in any of it or want to see what else is available, go to acbminimall.org. And if you need help with ordering anything, or if there's something out of stock, we can make sure that you get on the list for the reorder. Uh, call 612-332-3242, and somebody in our Minneapolis office will help you. All right, so Lucy, I know there's three clothing items and three non-clothing items. Let's see if we can get through all of them. All right. First, let yeah. me just say that somebody suggested that I start working for QVC because <laughs> of my sales pitch here. I like oh, it. I like right. it. So first of all, we have the ACB jacket, and it's made with 100% polyester woven shell bonded to 100% polyester micro fleece lining. And it is outdoor resistant, waterproof, wind resistant. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this sounds really cool. And um, it's in all sizes, like from a, a medium to uh, 4X. 4X yeah. And uh, the ACB logo is on it. And it comes in uh, black, red, navy, maroon, and gray. Oh, my goodness. That sounds pretty cool. 50, $58. I mean, now, what a deal. Now, if you're a QVC, you'd say, we've only got 20 of these items. We're going to go fast. Uh, they well, are going well, they're we limited, limited numbers, availability. Limited, yes, limited availability. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little countdown in the corner of the screen. <laughs> oh, there just won another one. <laughs> <laughs> We're running low on those maroon. <laughs> All, right. All right. So next we have the ACB hooded sweatshirt. Now, this is a hoodie and it features uh, it's 50-50. Is this the zip-up one? Or is no, this the, no. Okay. Oh, the hoodie, the one I want. Yeah. This is the cotton polyester okay. blend um, fleece with, yeah. It sounds pretty cool. It's navy blue with the ACB logo in white embroidered on it. And um, it has a single pocket and it's big enough for your hands. So that's good. And it's available sizes medium to 2XL. And that sells for $40. And... Um, Next, we have the ACB full zipped hoodie, and this is also 50-50 polyester cotton blend and with uh, the fleece uh, cuffs and waistband and ribbed and all that, and it's, but there's spandex in it, and it's navy blue with the ACB logo in white, screen printed on the left upper part of it, and um, it has a pocket on either side of the zipper, and it has, it's an unlined hood color match draw cords, and it's available in sizes large and XL and sells for $55. How, do, how does the spandex work on a, I think it just gives you a little just extra stretch. A little stretch. Yeah. That's all. 
Gotcha, it's gotcha, just, gotcha. Yeah. I don't think it feels any different. I no, think it's I don't just think the, so, no. Yeah. Just yeah, a little gotcha. part of the blend here. Yeah, All okay. right, now we have the ACB clear drawstring bag. And this bag is 12 by 12 and it's clear and um, there are drawstrings to cinch the bag closed at the top and provide uh, availability, uh, the, uh, the ability to <laughs> over the shoulder or a backpack. And the ACV logo is printed in black across the front and the bag. And um, the trim and the drawstring colors are available in blue or black. And it is only $6. Yeah, that's the deal of the I conference, mean, right? $6. That's amazing. <laughs> Next, we have our ACB vacuum um, tumbler, travel tumbler, and it's perfect for hot or cold beverages. And it's it's like vacuum sealed, you know, with a rubber sealer and it's insulated. And um, it's very durable, double wall, stainless steel, which prevents condensation and it's insulated. And oh my God, that just sounds so cool. I want one of these. Um, and it, it sells for $17. And our next item, last item is the ACB lead safety clip. And um, it, it is a, a little neon light, which you can have either flashing or a solid light. And it's for visibility while traveling at night. And you can put it on your belt, on your backpack, your jacket, your dog's harness. And mm -hmm. um, this makes it so people can see you at night when you're out there traveling. So um, the ACB Mini Mall is open 24-7 www.acbminimall.org and or you can call if you need help uh, the Minnesota office 612-332-3242 and anybody would help you with uh, ordering if you need assistance. So. All right. Thank you so much, Lucy. Yeah. Yeah, you are you are the queen of advertising here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nicely done. So let's get into some of our committees. Uh, today with us, we've got Leslie and Pam. So Leslie, we're going to let you go first because uh, I know you'll you'll get us all hyped up. And I need to be hyped up. That's what I need. So. Good afternoon, ladies. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Tell afternoon. us, what are you, what are you here to talk about? Which, which I hat? Talk, I have my auction hat on today. <laughs> Yay. And Lucy, you're doing a fabulous job. You've sold me on two items. I'm going to call. Oh, good, good. <laughs> you sold me. I think you could work I, for QVC. I want to know which items are you interested in. Ah, know. it's a secret. Oh man, it's a secret. I'm going and for maybe, that, and maybe I'm, there's a surprise for Cindy Hollis. I, I want know. that hoodie, and you know they'll, they'll be in the appetizer auction. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm here to talk about the auction. It's it's coming up soon. Yay! Uh, so the deadline for descriptions and pictures is May 1st. So that's May 1st, 2023. The committee is going to be calling the affiliates and vendors and pestering everybody. So be be have have your phones on. They're going to be ringing, ringing, lingy, linging. You know, <laughs> so, uh, is linging a word? I like it. It, it is in the spoon household. Okay, all right. <laughs> we like now that's another notes. one that's going to be an interesting translation. 
I'm sorry. I totally forgot. I am so It's okay. Sorry. They're saying lingy. Anyway, they're they're good. They're all right. <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I live in the South. Rick, what can I no, say? No, 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 no. I'm just... I, I, I've been listening to the translators and they're hysterical. We say something funny. Sometimes I can't help but laugh. So That's good. That's good. I'm we trying to get, to be trying to get yeah. used to laugh. So ring, ringy, ringy, lingy, lingy. You know, there you go. Okay, so so your phones will be ringing from all the affiliate, all the auction committee members and myself and, and whoever else. So when we call you, just say yes, you're going to donate. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way to go. We want the three-letter word. Yes. That's right. Yes. 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 So we are starting to pester people. We're getting items in. It's so exciting. I keep looking at my list every day. I'm so, so excited, so humbled. I have to be, be serious now. This really does humble me, guys, because this auction is so near and dear to my heart. Cindy Hollis and Brenda Dillon and Jeff Tom started this. You were not Cindy Hollis then, but we'll call you Cindy Hollis now. Thank you. Um, you know, and, and, and it was so, so cool that you guys took me under your wings. So this auction is so near and dear to my heart. Um, we have a good start right now of items. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say that enough to the vendors, to the donors, to the affiliates. Without you guys, we would not have this ACB auction. You know, um, both auctions go to different, different events, different programs. Like Dan has said all throughout the weekend, through the weekend, um, you know, if you love your programs, you love community, you love ADP, yeah. you love advocacy, you, you love everything. Show your love for ACB. That's what all of the, you know, the, the proceeds for all these auctions go towards is all of these wonderful programs. So, so think about that when we call you and say, yes, you want to donate. Uh, so May 1st is the deadline for descriptions and pictures. We and that's May Day. May Day. And then we are having an appetizer auction again, wet your noodle appetizer auction. I think I'm going to name it that this year. Since it's, it's stayed in my brain. <laughs> yes, it's, it's in your noodle. <laughs> it's in my noodle. So wet your noodle appetizer auction, June 15, 15, June 16, 16. Uh, you can email me, call me, call Dan. We take all your calls, even on our walks and everything. So we love for everybody to start bidding and it's so much fun. And we put everything out on the leadership list and conversation. So everybody will see the bids and you can outbid your favorite, your favorite friend or neighbor. Like Lucy. community member. Yeah. Like Lucy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the main event happens on June 17th, 1-7, Saturday night. That's the beginning I of the better mark of my auction. calendar for that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we have the four auctioneers, the four famous auctioneers, and the four famous describers. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. Even if you don't bid and you just want to want to tune in on your favorite echo device or your phone or whatever you got, whatever your techie device, you know, you've got, it is a lot of fun just to it listen. Um, it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, it's, it's very entertaining. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy and Lucy, for having me on to talk about the auction. I have if a you question. Guys... Okay. How long has the auction been going on for? 17 years this wow. year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. This is 17. our 17th. Oh this is our gosh. 17th. And I think wow. we're in year 20. Let's see. That's three more years. So let's see. This I don't have my mathematician Dan well, Spoon on. The 26th. It's 26th year. Okay, thank yeah. you. So where will we be? I don't know where we'll be, but we need to do something I don't know. big. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that will be amazing. It'll be wow. amazing. So 
So the creator of the auction was one of them was Cindy Hollis, one of them was Brenda Dillon, and one was Jeff Tom. So I can't thank you guys enough for bringing me in and taking me under your wings. And it's been fun, fun, fun. I love Brenda, it. Brenda Dillon was really the spearheader yeah, of this. Yeah, and yeah. and we miss her dearly still, oh, you know. Yeah. And um she was serious about the descriptions and <laughs> every and Wasn't oh, she, she oh was my. yes and yeah, um yeah. and boy all those people don't understand what happens but trying to get all them <laughs> when we would be in person and we don't have to do it this way now now leslie just takes it all on but <laughs> we would have everything brought to a room and then we'd have to lug it you know bring it on carts to another room and then we'd have to put it all in order along the tables around the outer yeah. edge oh. of the room and i think we have nightmares of those don't oh my gosh <laughs> it was it was stressful but it was fun we laughed a lot fun. and yeah anyway and a, a funny story about that when we were back in person and still did it then uh, virtual is so much better but when we did yes, it, in it, person, is. it is dan was running for president and he had we put all the items in our suitcases rolled our suitcases because we had the two hotels you know the auction was at the hyatt or hilton wherever we were i can't remember which one it was and so we're rolling our suitcase and somebody said dan you haven't even run yet you haven't you're leaving we just have auction items in the suitcases <laughs> and we couldn't figure out how to get them from one hotel to the other because we tried the first day with dolly and you know dan and i he's so good with all the navigation and everything and we're argue, arguing and and discussing it and now you needed to do it this way no 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 so by the second day we're like let's put the items in the suitcases <laughs> <laughs> well we always great. made it work but boy it was yeah. it was but we got to know yeah. people it was so i mean that's the part i miss about the in-person auction is just you know the team getting together and anyway but it was still but stressful so now the it's nice not. thing though cindy nice yeah. thing with virtual oh there's a lot of nice things so many more people now. yes and, and that so, was our dream right we wanted yeah we yeah. didn't want we didn't want the auction to just be conventioneers and just our people now anybody can join in the auction and take part in it and which is i it's been raising more money and it's it really is a lot of fun so thank yeah. you leslie thank you show your love for acb and donate 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 <laughs> So if you need a backup, if you need a backup describer, I'm, I'm, I'm it. We'll, we'll oh, keep you in mind. Oh, we will definitely yes. keep you in mind. Thank you. That's I, awesome. I, you Thanks, all reminded me. You reminded me of one story I have to uh -oh. share, and that was in oh, Dallas. Dear. Oh in, no! In Dallas, <laughs> and Janet calls me over, and she said, "Dan, I just got the strangest call from the hotel." And I said, "What's going on?" She said. They found a pair of steer horns in the hallway. Do you know oh, yeah. anything about them? I said, oh, my <laughs> God, we had them on the cart. Oh, no. And they fell off the cart. <laughs> 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 and we had oh, to go God. to Lost and Found and pick up a pair of steer uh, antlers that uh, that the, the Texas Council to ACB of Texas had donated. Oh yes. my gosh! I, I never heard yeah. that one. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, that is oh funny. Oh. Thank All you, girls, right. for having me on. You bet. You Thank bet. you. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow with uh, a a different hat. Different hat. <laughs> there you go. Love All right. Bye. 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 All right. Next up, we have Pam coming to us from 
I am the mental health and wellness committee. Yes. Did I do it right? Yeah. <laughs> she got it. She got Yay! it. She got it. <laughs> Don't you guys know that you're doing one of the best things you can do for your mental health and wellness, and that's to laugh and to have fun, even if the joke is on you. Now, speaking of auctions, I won at the last auction. Where were we? Maryland, and I got three pounds of peanut butter fudge. (gasps) Okay. Um, I was talking last night. I live across the street from the fire department and next door to the police department, so they got to check on me. But I was talking, and I told them that I was going to participate in a fireside chat. And he said, Pam, please don't light any fires. (laughs) 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 But the, the problem is, while I was talking to him, I let him hold the um, box because it had just gotten to me of the fudge. Now I don't know where he is and where is my fudge. Oh, <laughs> they thought that was a nice gift. Thank you. Yeah, well, you better give it back. So anyway, it's it's really good to be here today. The other day when I was here, I was informed that I forgot to do something, so I'm going to do it first. So if you have ideas, suggestions, thoughts, anything. Here is the email where you can send it. So it's acb.mhwc at gmail.com. All right. acb.mhwc at gmail.com. Now, the other day when we were together, we focused on mental health, but we remarked that so many people think of that as mental illness. So today, we're going to focus just a little bit about what the committee will be doing relative to mental wellness, because there are things you can do to prevent some things from happening, to maintain when you're feeling that you are stable, and other things that you can do when you just feel a little down. And what we plan on doing, listen carefully, Cindy and Lucy, we plan on working closely with the community to make sure that we are providing what our members want. So we want to make sure that we're listening, and not just listening, but really doing something about what we hear. Uh, We are also, again, as we said the other day, very fortunate. We are already being contacted by organizations and companies and to see what we might be able to do um, to work together. So that's what we're going to be doing. We've got, again, a wonderful, wonderful team of people from all across the country. I think we have somebody in every time zone. And what's interesting is, yes, we have some clinicians, we have some people who are living with a mental health condition, and we just have some people who just care, said, I just want to be in and I'll do what I can to help. So as one person um, remarked, first initial L, Second initial for her last name is S, okay? She said, that looks like a good-looking committee, so we'll take her word for it, okay? But the one thing I want to do before uh, signing off from you guys, and again, thanking you, is just share one little tip that you can use to promote mental wellness. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I am into affirmations and quotes and things like that. So here's one for today. Promise me that you'll always remember you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem, 
and smarter than you think. Guess who that comes from? Christopher Robin from Winnie the Pooh. I love so, it. Wow. I love it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so Can you it say it one more so, time? Sure. Promise me you'll always remember you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Wow. That's something to think about as you go through the day, but it, it, it goes to show you that taking care of your mental wellness can just mean that one stop along the day or in the morning when you get up and see how a thought can even change your day. So we're going to be sharing those kinds of things, and we're just looking forward to the marvelous things that are going to happen on what someone has told me. It's more than a committee. This is an ACB initiative. So thank you, ladies, for having me. You bet. Wow, that's, that's, I love that. Wow. <laughs> oh, Cindy, where'd you go? Sorry. Oh, there you are. <laughs> I, I'm here. Sorry. I want to remember that quote. I, I'm braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think. I like it a lot. Yeah. I, I, I really, anytime somebody talks about themselves in a negative way, I just want to go over and go, oh my gosh, don't you see what others see? Don't you know what others know? Uh, anyway. Yeah. 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 Sure. I, you know, wow. yep. Attitude is, is so much, right? Attitude is everything, really, when you think yeah. about it. Um, I am looking for something, so I'm trying to get into I see. I think I'm. I am there. All right. So really quickly, I thought it would be kind of good. Um, let's see. To just quickly go through um, our different special interest affiliates. Uh, oh. So yeah. So if that's okay, I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to have you go through the schedule really quick. Okay. Sure. All right. So. Um, these are our special interest affiliates, and you can find this list up on our website at acb.org. Click on affiliates, and you'll see your state affiliates and your special interest affiliates. And we are in membership time, so uh, this is the time to join. And any of these affiliates would love to have you be a part of what they are doing. And special interest affiliates are just that. They have an interest that common interest for uh, their members to share in. So uh, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, um, American Association of Blind Teachers. Uh, I'm going just by the, the uh, letters, so I'm hoping I'm not messing this up. Um, American Association of Visually Impaired Attorneys, uh, ACB Diabetics in Action, um, ACB Families, ACB Government Employees, ACB Lions, ACB Next Generation, ACB Radio Amateurs, ACB Students, Blind Information Technology Specialists, Blind Pride International, Braille Revival League, Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, Friends in Art, Guide Dog Users Incorporated, 
independent, visually impaired entrepreneurs, say that three times fast, <laughs> Library Users of America, Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, and Visually Impaired Veterans of America. Those are our 20 special interest affiliates, and any of them would love to have you as part of their organization, as well as our state affiliates, and we are in most states. So if you are wondering, if if you can't look it up yourself, you can always email community at acb.org. We're happy to provide you any information you need, or you can always call our Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242, and they can assist you joining um, or connecting you with the right people. All right. Lucy, do you yeah. mind going over the schedule for today? I would love it. Thank All you. right. So for day one of our legislative seminar at 1 p.m., opening remarks and uh, welcoming by President Spoon. And at 1.15 p.m., introducing the 2023 legislative imperatives and special guest speaker. Wow, that'll be cool. 2 p.m., deafblind advocacy. And that's going to be by uh, Kim Charlson, ACB immediate past president, as well as uh, some other people that she'll be having with her. And at 2.45 p.m., you get to hear from Cindy and I again with our next connection show. At 3 p.m., we have self-advocacy for older Americans with vision loss. That's me, <laughs> Anisio Correa. Uh, Vision Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Palm Coast, Florida, and also Jeff Tom. That'll be good. At 3, uh, 3.45 p.m., accessible at-home testing. Uh, Dr. Jill Himskirk, National Institutes of Health, Washington, D.C., and also President Spoon. Then at 3.45 p.m. with Cindy and I again with our next Connection show. Um, oh, dear. I, let's see here. Uh, four, oh, dear. My Braille display jumped on me. Oh, okay. Let's happens. see here. Um, oh, my gosh. 4.45. I'm sorry. was our Connection show. Yep. Sorry about that. 5 p.m. We have... man i'm sorry that's okay that's all right accessible health and wellness with tom tobin acb diabetics in action president and uh connie sims acb board uh member of yeah so that'll be great um then oh my gosh i don't know what's wrong with my braille display here i don't understand this but uh let's see <laughs> sorry gosh it's okay well you're looking for the next one i'll just say that i'm excited to announce that we are also streaming this event in clubhouse today and tomorrow so um hopefully we'll find new people to find us and if you have stumbled into clubhouse this is our legislative seminar for the american council of the blind and we are glad to have everybody listening on acb media 
and as well as in Clubhouse and or here in Zoom. So did you find your spot there, Lucy? Yeah, actually, that is our last event okay. of the day. That's going to be for an hour. So, All yeah. right. That, that's a good reason why you couldn't find anything that's else, right? right? <laughs> All right. So this is exciting. Lots going on. And it goes for two days of uh, this legislative seminar. And man, oh, man, it is packed with so much. Uh, I will be listening. Um not at the computer because I I'm finding I just need to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, I know it's 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 I do the same thing. I've got to get up yeah. and do stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's the get up and get moving. They've got us. We know it's got to be more than our lips and our fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Right? Yeah. So all right. Well, we have like one minute left. So I'm going to put a shameless plug in for community. We've been hearing a lot about community. It's been exciting, hasn't it, Lucy, to oh, hear yeah. so much new content is going to be coming to the community. If you're out there wondering, what is this community thing? Well, if you've not found us yet, you've missed 12,000 events <laughs> so far. <laughs> but that's okay. You can jump in anytime. We'd love to have you. If you're not receiving our daily schedule in your inbox, drop an email to community at acb.org. You will receive an email each night for the next day's schedule. And yeah. um, we always include other information in that email, but it's typically just that email each day. So you're not getting, it's not a conversation list and you're not getting a lot bombarded. So yeah. <laughs> you can also call 800-424-8666 and follow the prompts to listen to the schedule pre-recorded. It is not though updated as things do change throughout the week. Uh, you, you may miss something on that, but we, we uh, do send out all updated information to the email list. So we would love to have you. Thank you, Lucy. I'll see you back here in a little while. And right. I think we get to turn this over to Dan to kick yeah. things off for the legislative seminar. Hi, Dan. Hey, Dan. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Lucy. How are you guys doing? <laughs> good, good. good. I, I think we need Joel to come on tomorrow, maybe, and do a little audio description of each of you all. Oh, so everybody quiet. knows what you No. The, no. This, is, this is Dan Spoon, a white, clean-shaven, middle-aged man. Well, at least he balding. had you middle-aged. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't old. <laughs> Balding with white hair on my temples wearing a red sports shirt so yes hey. and well there you go and you've got that memorized so it, i i've heard it six times over the last isn't that <laughs> isn't that nice to know what you look like yes, yes. and yeah, i'm lucy you, a young beautiful <laughs> woman brown hair and no gray <laughs> uh, i'm a i'm a young uh young middle-aged if you're middle-aged i can be middle-aged i'm a i'm a young middle-aged woman with all gray hair so <laughs> I've gone gray, stopped coloring it because uh, my daughters told me it's beautiful. So I'm Aww. going with it and it's curly. All yeah. right. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you all so much. Bye, you guys. Bye. Let's get started. <laughs> all right. Welcome, everybody, to day three of our virtual DC Leadership Conference. Uh, day and three, in day three and day four, we'll concentrate on our legislative seminar. 
that will be hosted by Clark Rockfull, our ACB Advocacy and Governmental Affairs Director, and Swathananda Kumar, our ACB Advocacy Specialist. Before we get started and introduce Clark and Swatha, though, just wanted to remind everybody of a few things. First, Gabriel, are we looking good with our interpreters for our Spanish language today? So wanted to make sure we're good to go. Yeah, we're good. Get, uh, good, we're, we're good to go. OK, very good. We're good and functioning. Thank you all so much to our translators for all yes, of their everything going great. And, and Gabriel, would you like to just say hello and thank you to our uh, interpreters again, just so everybody knows who's behind the scenes? Lucy, Lucy Arguijo. All right, Lucy's up first for us today. And who will be our other two uh, interpreters later on in the day? And then we have a Daniel Gratterall and Joanne Orozco. Well, thank you, Gabriel. Thank you, interpreters. We really are appreciating uh, the opportunity to offer this event in both English and Spanish. Again, for those wishing to listen on ACB Media, uh, ACB Media 6 will be in English and ACB Media 7 will be in Spanish. Again, if you go back and forth between the two channels and you do see that your language is not changing, please take a moment and unplug your A-Lady device. Give it about 30 seconds to clear out the, uh, uh, the buffer and then be, go ahead and replug and you should be in good shape. Also wanted to remind everybody that is, this is a wonderful opportunity uh, for you to give to the American Council of the Blind. If you've enjoyed what you've seen over the last two days, where we've highlighted so many of our key programs and services, our committees, uh, and our members that are just doing amazing work for the American Council of the Blind, as well as our ACB staff, and you'd like to say, how can I give to such a wonderful organization? It's so easy. We have something called the Monthly Monetary Support Program, MMS, and you right now can join the Monthly Monetary Support Program and enter yourself in a drawing for a $250 Amazon gift card that will be given away uh, in the uh, April timeframe. So all you have to do is join as a new MMS member for as little as $10 a month. You can split up to 50% of that monthly pledge to a special interest or state affiliate of your choice, as well as going to ACB. Uh, again, you can join as a new member for $10 a month, or if you're already an existing monthly monetary support member and you say, boy, I want to get in that drawing for that $250 Amazon gift card, all you have to do is call or write and up your pledge an additional $5. You can do give more, of course, but at least a minimum of $5. And how do I do that? It's so simple. You can call our 800 number at 888-999-3190. Again, that's 888-999-3190. Or you can write an email to askacbmms at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-A-C-B. MMS at gmail.com. Uh, 
Our wonderful monthly monetary support committee chair, Jean Mann, will be manning the phones and she'd love to hear from you. She'll get back in touch if you leave her a message and please consider donating to the American Council of the Blind. We really, really would appreciate your support. Also wanted to remind everybody that we will have a chance today during our sessions to ask questions. So if you want to ask a question when it's that time for panel participation and you're ready to, to learn a little more and ask your questions or provide your statement, there's two ways you can do it. You can use the Zoom feature, which is the Q&A feature on Zoom. Just type out your question and we've got Deb Lewis who will receive your questions and send them on to the panelists or you can raise your hand just through the standard Zoom function and you'll be called on. So there's two opportunities to ask questions at the appropriate time throughout our, our panels today. All right, so it's pretty exciting that here we are on day three with our legislative imperatives, our legislative seminars. I'd like to take this time right now and introduce Clark Rockfull, again, our ACB, uh, Advocacy and Governmental Affairs Director, and Swathananda Kumar, our ACB Advocacy Specialist. Welcome, Clark. Welcome, Swatha. Thank you so much, Dan. Can everyone hear me all right? You sound great. Thanks, awesome. Dan. Hi, Swatha. You sound great, too. Great. So are you guys ready to rock and roll for an exciting legislative uh, session today? Oh, yeah. We're ready. Absolutely. And, uh, and much like the, the overview that Dan just gave, we certainly could not do this without the amazing team, uh, both the volunteers and staff involved with uh, membership services at the American Council of the Blind, the ACB community, as well as ACB media and the Spanish language subcommittee of the Multicultural Affairs Committee. So thank you to everyone who's doing uh, the dirty work behind the scenes so that we can bring you all this legislative impair, uh, legislative seminar, excuse me. So also, we would also like to thank our sponsors for this year's DC Leadership Conference, our presidential sponsor, the Mobile Voting Project from Tusk Philanthropy, and our Beltway sponsors, American Printing House for the Blind, Enhanced Voting, Vispero, and Waymap. So as Dan mentioned, hi everyone, I'm Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and I am joined by my colleague. I am Swatha Nandakumar. I am a CB's Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And this kicks off our two-day virtual legislative seminar, which will be followed by our in-person DC Leadership Conference. And when members like you and our affiliates meet with their elected members of Congress to share our legislative imperatives. Swatha, quickly, before we go to our special guest, what are this year's four legislative imperatives? Yeah, so we got four imperatives. Um, they're all repeats from, repeat from last year. Um, exercise, exercise and Fitness for All Act, um, the Medical Device, Navigable Accessibility Act, um, 
the Websites and Software Application Accessibility Act. That's a long one. Um, and the Communications Video Technology, Technology Accessibility Act. So, yeah, all great impressions. Thank you, Swatha. And like Swatha said, they are repeats from last year, but here we are in the 118th Congress, and we need these imperatives to be reintroduced as legislation um, in both houses of Congress. We'll work to make them bipartisan bills as well, and that will be our first step to getting these priorities passed into law. We should mention that the one of our empires has been introduced in the House, Carl Clark. Exactly. Introduced and on a bipartisan basis. And that, Swatha, is? The Medical Device Knowledge Accessibility Act. So it's introduced by Kowski from Illinois and is co-sponsored by over 30, 32, I believe. Um, 29 and Democrats and three Republicans. So, if you're if if you need if you um live in one live in one of the districts or or meet or meet with anyone today, uh, please thank them for us. Thank you, Swatha, and we will hear and share more about all of these imperatives throughout our programming. And of course, you can find out more about this event and our imperatives by visiting the ACB website and clicking on the link for the DC Leadership Conference. Well, Swatha, we have a very special guest joining us here today, uh, someone who is an ally of ACB and the disability community, and someone that we hope will be able to help us champion these imperatives as well. So. Now I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce and turn to our special guest for some remarks about the work that they are doing. And I'd like to introduce uh, Representative Debbie Dingle, uh, a member of Congress from Michigan, who is also one of the co-chairs of the Congressional Bipartisan Disability Caucus. Representative Dingle, how are you doing today? Well, I'm well, Clark, and it's great to be with everybody. Well, thank you so much. And I, I will let you uh, take it away and share the work that you are doing uh, on behalf of people with disabilities and all constituents in Congress. Well, thank you. And thank you to everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, and I'm happy to share part of this afternoon with you. I want to thank you for the opportunity to join the Council, the American Council of the Blind Legislative Seminar, because it's really important that you learn about the issues. And I'm glad to have uh, be able to talk a little bit about what I'm working on in Congress and to hear from you uh, about how we can best work together and how I can help you with your legislative priorities. I'm proud to have recently taken on this role of co-chair of the Bipartisan Disabilities Caucus. When my friend, Jim Langevin, he founded this caucus, was its co-chair, and he came to me and asked me if I would take it over for him, and I took that very, very seriously. And I would say to you that we've, need, we've made progress. My husband, um, 
was one of the original people who worked on this bill when it was originally passed and we've made progress, but we got a lot of work that remains to be done. We need to continue to support bipartisan efforts to provide long-term services and supports in home and community-based care by expanding and strengthening programs like Money Follows the Person, which allows people to receive care in the setting of their choice. We also need to continue to support investments in affordable, accessible housing and connecting Americans with disabilities with these resources, to these resources. Additionally, we got to, we must support inclusivity in the workplace and strengthen opportunities for employment of people with disabilities. Collectively, these policies will advance equity and provide opportunities for Americans with disabilities. From passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act to other initiatives to empower people with disabilities to fully participate in American life, these efforts have traditionally been and should always be bipartisan. I just really believe that and my co-chair believes that too. I'm also a co-sponsor of the medical device. Um, non, sorry guys, I can't read. Non-Visual Accessibility Act because we cannot allow people who are blind or have low vision to be excluded from a full, happy and independent life due to inaccessible medical technologies. While home based medical devices or home use medical devices are becoming more prevalent, they're less accessible to blind Americans and that's not okay. So much of our new technology requires interacting with user interfaces that aren't accessible to blind or low vision individuals. The Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act will establish non-visual accessibility standards for these devices so that individuals who are blind or have low vision can enjoy the same services with the same privacy independence and use and tissues as individuals without vision impairments. Home and community-based service care issues are a major priority for me and they're personal for me as well because I was fortunate to have my husband, John, who I loved with my whole heart and soul, who at the end had a very difficult time walking, but he received care at home until the day that he died. But that experience revealed, and I was very blessed that his brain was always there, but it, it, I needed to have help at the end. That but, and I learned how broken our system is, how hard it is to navigate it, how crazy it is. That experience revealed to me the shortcomings that we have in the home care system and infrastructure and how many challenges individuals with disabilities face just to get the care that they need. And I know that we were luckier than 99 and nine tenths of the people in this country. We know that a majority of people would prefer to receive care in the home, in their own homes, or a community-based setting. And the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act will make that possible for more people. 
Americans who live with vision loss, visual impairment, low vision, and blindness deserve, deserve to manage their own health and have access to the same resources, information as those who do. Not only is it the right thing to do, but we have no excuse not to be adding accessibility components to devices. It's not expensive and it's already done in many terms, items. It's common sense that essential medical devices should have the same or better accessibility features as our iPhones. And I will always fight to protect, expand and strengthen Medicare, which has proven to be one of the most successful programs in American history. The reality in 1945, my father-in-law, John Dingle Sr., introduced the first universal health care bill. And in Congress, my husband, John Dingle, introduced it every year starting in 1955. It took 45 to 65 to get Medicare. Since then, we've seen CHIPS and the Affordable Care Act and other bills. We need to make sure that all of you have access to the care that you need and that you can afford it. Because they recognize then that every American's got the right to quality, affordable health care. It is something I believe I'm here for at this time. And it's something I'm never going to stop fighting for. And quite frankly, that includes vision care. It is something that I feel very, very strongly about. Your perspectives guide my work in Congress. I look forward to our conversation today and to continuing to work with you and advocating for your priorities. Thank you. Representative Dingle, thank you so much. Um, uh, just a, a big thank you from the American Council of the Blind and our partners for your support and your bipartisan co-chairs support of the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. So we, uh, we do have members who are listening here, and I'm sure that we will have lots of questions. Hopefully you're able to stick around for a few minutes as we as we take questions from our audience. Uh, but before we recognize our members, Swatha, it, do you have any questions related to ACB's priorities that you would like to ask the representative? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, given the upcoming federal aviation administration's um, reauthorization and um, the flurry of air travel related legislation and um, other issues, um, what are your office's plans or the office's plans around people blind or have guide dogs? Well, I need to look into it more. You should, you're allowed to bring those blind dogs on the plane uh, with you. And I, I guess I need to understand and have more um, specific 
if you all want me to be urging TSA to do more, I'd like to hear from you about what those needs are. But I have always worked to ensure that people with disabilities are treated with respect and dignity, can travel through TSA quickly, respectfully. And we've worked very hard to make sure that your dogs are allowed on the plane and are able to stay with you. And Representative, you mentioned the importance of people with disabilities um, having equity and equal access in the workplace. One of the largest barriers to employment that we hear about at the American Council of the Blind from our members is when workplace technology is inaccessible to people with disabilities, whether that's uh, completing an application online, or if it's a, an online service or online you know, software portal that is inaccessible and prevents somebody from having uh, equal access to the benefits and privileges of employment. Um, this is one of the reasons that the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act is a, a top priority for our organization. Um, this was introduced in 2017 by Representative Sarbanes, and we're working to have it reintroduced in the 118th Congress. Oh, is there anything that uh, you would be able to share with our members on whether it's the Americans with Disabilities Act or otherwise, um, what needs to be done to ensure that the virtual built environment is as accessible as the physical built environment for people with disabilities? So we need to keep pushing for that. We need to keep pushing for regulations that can be done at the executive level without us having to do more legislation, but we will have to pass more legislation as we've been talking about. The, and I will talk to John Sarbanes, he's a good friend of mine. He is the one that's gonna reintroduce this legislation. We need to try to get through ENC. And we need to, quite frankly, in the House, we're not gonna get bills through without Republicans supporting us. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that have relationships with Republican members of Congress, I urge you to talk to them about it. And we're going to keep pushing to try to get these kinds of things done because we need to sensitize people. They don't even think about these issues. And we do need to make sure that you have equal access. So we will keep fighting, hoping that we're going to get this done and, and workplaces are going to do it. We have some workplaces that are, are more uh, empathetic and more aware of it, and we have some that aren't, and we've got to push to educate everybody. Thank you, Representative. And Swatha, do you have one more question before we open it up to audience Q&A? Um, yeah, um, so given Clark's like um, employment, the whole employment issue, um, one of the other barriers we, we find from regarding um, access to employment and workplace conditions are, uh, is just trans trans transit being able to, being, being able to get there or being able to like take um 
transit to um, a workplace or to a job interview. Um, so given that there's a lot of those activity on autonomous, autonomous vehicles and given that autonomous vehicles are, um, that they are like, that they do represent um, a great like opening of doors for blind television individuals. Um, what sort of plans or what, what can we do to make sure that these, um, or what plans do you have um, in this regard to make sure EVs are accessible to blind folks and that they are, they're, they're, they're equi equitably um, used and, and, and um, yeah, um, with the brother. So I'm the leader of autonomous vehicle legislation in the Congress and uh, have made it very clear that we're gonna get behind other countries. Uh, I would, by the way, not everybody trusts autonomous vehicles. I would say to my husband, uh, you know, this would give you the freedoms and independence he wanted because he wanted to be able to drive. And I wouldn't let him drive because I feared for other, don't, I mean, he's not here for me to give him a hard time, but, um, but autonomous vehicles are the vehicles of the future and we cannot get behind China and other countries. So I have been working very hard um, with all the, all the stakeholders of trying to uh, get legislation that everybody will sign off on. Kathy McMorris Rogers, who is the Republican Chair of Energy and Commerce Committee, said to me, I want to get this bill done with you. Bob Lada, another Republican. You know, I got autonomous vehicle legislation through the House unanimously four years ago. Um, and we've got to get it done because of the, what it does mean for not just people like you, but for seniors, for people with disabilities, people who, who can't drive. It gives you freedom. It gives you the ability to go where you want to go. And it is the technology of the future. It is one of the things that I'm totally devoted to getting done this year. And I'm hoping we can get it done in a bipartisan way. Thank well, you. we have to get it done because we're not gonna get through the house if it's not bipartisan. Thank you. Thank you, Representative. And now I'd like to turn to our Zoom host to share how folks may uh, be recognized if they have a question for the representative. All right, if you have a question, go ahead. And if you're on a phone, I believe it is star nine to raise your hand on an iPhone. Uh, I haven't given these in a while. So on an iPhone, uh, it's on, I actually don't remember where it is on the iPhone. It's, we usually play a recording to, to cover this. And on a computer, it's Alt-Y to raise your hand. And we do have a few hands already. Are you ready to start taking notes? Yes, please. I am, and I do apologize. I've got a 1.30, so I'm going to want to take as many as I can in a short period of time. Okay, first of, up, we have a phone number that is 2157, ending in 735. There we go. This is Ray Campbell, but I'm in on my phone today. Representative Dingle, first of all, thank you for agreeing to be a co-sponsor of the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, I'm your neighbor from the Southwest in Illinois, and um, here's my question. 15 years ago, 
the United States Court of Appeals ordered the U.S. Treasury to make currency accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired. It has been 15 years. We do not have any accessible currency out there. The $20 bill is under redesign. The Biden administration and the Treasury are openly trying to sneak through a design, hoping we will not notice that it is not accessible. What can your caucus do and what can we do to get the Department of the Treasury to follow what the court told them 15 years ago and make currency accessible? We want it now. Well, the first thing we'll do is do a letter uh, to the Treasury from the Bipartisan uh, Disability Caucus asking questions. So uh, my staff will work with the staff of this organization to get as much information as we can. And we will ask Treasury what they are doing um, and ask for an accounting of implementing the court order. Thank you Thank very, you. very much. And uh, glad, to, glad to hear it. Thank you so much, Representative. And uh, maybe one more question uh, before you have to leave. We really appreciate your time today. I love being with you all. All right. Do we have any questions from the chat? Because that's another way you can ask questions is through chat. Okay. Barring that, we will say hi to from Doug. Good afternoon, Representative Dingle and, and uh, uh, Clark and, and Swatha. Um, my question comes, I am the president of the, the special interest affiliate called the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. And we're very interested in the Older Independent Blind Program, which has been funded at the same level of $33 million for the whole country for uh, 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 this sort of the same, at least 15 years. And we uh, obviously, uh, elder people uh, and they're, uh, you know, have, are participating in society a lot more than uh, perhaps 15 years ago. Um, the technology has has moved on, and we don't have enough money to uh, either get people devices or get them trained on devices. And um, we're uh, we're actually currently servicing about five percent of the eligible people. Um, can you put this on your uh, priority list uh, to uh, increase the funding for old, older independent blind program, which is through RSA? I'm absolutely going to look at it, and um, I would also encourage you to talk to AARP and to a, a number of groups to have them looking at pushing for this, so that you build an advocacy coalition of people pushing for it. But absolutely, I'll have my team look into it today. Hey Thank Travis, you. we have a Q and A. If I can just insert it here, we've got a question that came. Thank in you very much. Chat. Certainly. Um, Representative Dingle, who is your co-chair, or the Brian uh, Fitzpatrick, or the rank, the uh, ranking member? Um, no, no, it's not a ranking; it's a co-chair. It's we a co-chair. Brian okay. Fitzpatrick. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. And again, Rep Representative Dingle, uh, thank you so much for your time here today uh, to spend it with the American Council of the Blind and our nationwide membership. We hope that you have an opportunity to meet with our state affiliate from Michigan, the Michigan Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired in the coming weeks. I look Thank forward you. to it.
Thank you, both of you. Thank you, everybody. It's great to be with everybody. Clark and Spassel, thank you. But everybody, it's been nice to spend part of my Monday with all of you. Thank you. And we look forward to continued collaboration with you, your staff, and the caucus. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right, everyone. Uh, again, a big thank you to Representative Dingle from the great state of Michigan for sharing the items that she is focused on as a representative and member of Congress, but also as co-chair of the Congressional Bipartisan Disabilities Caucus. And as was stated, her Republican co-chair for the caucus is Representative Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania. And as, as was stated, Representative Fitzpatrick, a Republican, is also a co-sponsor of the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. Um, so I, I think there's great promise in moving this legislation forward and gaining additional co-sponsors here in 2023, uh, because we have both co-chairs of the Bipartisan Disabilities Caucus that are publicly supporting and endorsing this legislation. Swatha, what stood out to you from the representative's remarks here today? I think her focus on um, how, like, not having accessible at home, at home, at home medical devices can really kind of leave you out of the community and really just like that connection, that connection to HCBS, the like home and community-based services like that. Um, just that intersection, intersection of both and intersection of like just the at-home care and having the devices. So how are you, Clark? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% there. And I, I'm glad that Doug Powell, uh, president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, was able to bring up the um, older individuals with blindness program as well. Uh, the other highlight for me, and I, I'm sure I'll owe him a, a, a cold, tasty beverage at the in-person leadership conference was the plug by uh, Ray Campbell from <laughs> Illinois about accessible currency. So we will definitely follow up with the representative's office to get a, le a letter to the treasury and asking them uh, specific questions regarding when our currency will be made accessible and how they will ensure that our currency is made accessible once redesigned. All right, uh, so we mentioned our four legislative imperatives. Right now, we'd like to take the opportunity if you were unable to attend the community events where Swatha and I went over the legislative imperatives, no need to worry. We have one of the overviews for the website and software applications accessibility act that we would like to play here now. And we will be providing an overview of the website and software application accessibility act. To provide an overview of the website and software application accessibility act, I will turn to my colleague Swatha Nandakumar. 
Yeah, so what this this bill is um, the web, Websites and Software Accessibility Applications Accessibility Act. Um, so what this bill was introduced late last year in September in the fall. Um, yeah, it needs to be needs to be reintroduced. So what this bill does is it would create standards for websites and applications um, to make it accessible for people with disabilities. Um, this bill defines accessibility in a functional functional way and not in a not tied to a standard or to a um, directive. So, Clark, you want to tell us what functional accessibility is? Absolutely, Swatha. So there, there's two ways to think about how in a, a legislative approach you can try to require accessibility, right? We can look towards something like the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, which many folks know and uh, are very appreciative for, also referred to as WCAG or WCAG. Um, and these are very kind of prescriptive international standards, right? Like there's there's a standard for uh, font, for contrast, um, for screen reader accessibility. And there's there are different uh, metrics where you either, it's almost like a, a binary choice, right? Depending on the level of the requirement, um, it can be either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, a functional definition operates a little bit differently. Uh, so for example, when in the Americans with Disabilities Act, we have a requirement for effective communication for people who are blind and low vision or people who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, effective communication means that you need to be able to provide equal access to be able to communicate with people who are disabled. It doesn't necessarily tell you how you have to effectively communicate. There could be any number of ways that you effectively communicate. That could be through alternative methods. It could be through the use of auxiliary aids and services. Um, but the requirement of effective communication is that that functional definition component. Um, it's kind of the uh, the aspirational goal, right? And that's what we're looking toward here with a functional definition of accessibility. This legislation does not tell uh, government or businesses or employers, you must do A, B, and C, and you will be you will get a you know a badge, a gold star, a smiley face for being accessible. Uh, what this functional definition says is that you need to provide equal access for people with disabilities so that they can have the same access with the same level of privacy and the same level of independence as people who are not disabled. Uh, we also see this in the the work of the Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Um, say, for example, when the CVAA talks about accessible user interfaces for either uh, wireless phones or landline phones or video user interfaces, it doesn't prescribe how you provide that 
equal access um, to advanced communication services. It doesn't uh, mandate the specific method or technology to be used. It says, you know, hey, service provider, this is on you. Do, do what you feel is the best for your business with this being that end goal. So that's what we're aspiring to here with this functional definition. We don't want to be prescriptive, but we do want to make sure that people with disabilities have access. Now, what will flow from that once this legislation is passed, um, what will stem from the legislation are regulations, enforceable regulations made by rulemakings at the Department of Justice and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Those regulations will be more, you know, more prescriptive than the functional definition. Um, and why, why is that the case? Because it's easier to update and change regulations than it is to change legislation. Um, just think of it this way. The Americans with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990. If we had codified in 1990 that a wireline phone must be used over the copper phone network, the public switch telephone network to provide voice communications for people who are blind, we would be left in the dust, right? We, we don't want to put into legislation something that cannot evolve as technology evolves. Um, we want to be able to access the same technologies, have the same benefits, privileges, and advantages as everyone else. And that's why it's important to keep a, a functional definition in this legislation. Swatha? Yeah, so we really, we really want the accessible standards to keep pace with new and emerging technology. So what this bill also does is it um, creates or um, sets a study on new emerging, new emerging technology to make sure that our our standards keep pace and um, also establishes an advisory council to define accessibility in this in, within this definition of functional. So it really um, we really want this 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 bill this these um this slot you can say um, to be evergreen and to be um, continually continue evolving. We don't want to we don't want to be stagnant and expire in like three years. So, um, yeah, so this bill was introduced last year by Senator Duckworth in the ha Senate and um, Congress Congressman Star Reigns in the House. So we really uh, are pushing for this bill to be reintroduced past both offices and um, we do ask that you all talk to your members of Congress about this issue and about the, the importance of this bill. So, Clark, do you want to talk about um, more about advocacy? Absolutely, Swatha. Thank you. So, why is this bill important and, and why now, right? Uh, websites and applications have been around for quite a while. Um, honestly, it's, it's something that should have been done many years ago, 
it's something that ACB, uh, our partners at AFB and AER and other organizations uh, tried to do for the blind and low vision community uh, back in, in 2010 when there were conversations about uh, amending and modernizing the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA Amendments Act. As time has progressed, and certainly as we noticed throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, many more things are shifting online. Uh, if we just think about the past two years, Oh, let's see. In ACB, there's this little thing called the ACB community that went from holding one or two Zoom calls a month to now holding over 100 per week. Telehealth, being able to have virtual doctor's appointments has exploded in popularity. Distance learning, remote education, Online schooling, whether for kindergarten, through 12th grade, or at the university level, is a staple of our education system now. And for, for those of us that have been fortunate enough to maintain employment throughout the pandemic, we all had to adjust to working from home, working remotely, and some of us have adjusted so well, we're never, ever going back to an office ever again, right? Uh, we, we certainly know friends and family or loved ones who are making that decision. So why shouldn't people with disabilities have access to those same benefits, uh, those same privileges and advantages as the rest of the population? Uh, we, we certainly divert, deserve it. It's certainly our right to have equal access. Um, to whether it's government services or the uh, services and benefits or the tools and resources we need to do our job through our employer, to take part in education, healthcare, heck, entertainment, civic engagement, whatever it is. So many aspects of our lives are just as, if not more, readily available online than they have been ever before. And Swatha, we're not even factoring in transportation yet, right? Just like no, how difficult know. is it to be fully engaged in the, the real physical world uh, for many of our members? So the virtual built environment offers unparalleled access when it is designed to be accessible from the start. So why 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 do we think legislation why do we think advocacy in this space is necessary well part of it is that although i'd say it's an unsettled question how the americans with disabilities act applies to the virtual built environment you know there, there's no question that the ada applies to the physical built environment uh, our curb cuts, our ramps and doors and braille signage um, and things like that, right? But what about our virtual built environment? In some cases, literally court cases, depending on where you are in the country, uh, some courts think that 
the ADA applies to the internet. Other courts say, no, nah, not so fast. There needs to be a connection to the physical world or a nexus to the physical world for the Americans with Disabilities Act to cover websites. And that creates confusion and uncertainty. Now, fortunately, the Department of Justice has been consistent in their guidance since the mid-90s that, yes, the ADA applies to websites. But the Internet's not just websites. We've got websites, applications, online services, portals, the metaverse, uh, virtual and augmented reality. What about all that stuff? There's a whole bunch of things out there that are more than just websites. Uh, also, the Department of Justice, although they say that the ADA applies to the Internet, they haven't created regulations to say when and where and how that applies. So this, again, this goes back to the uncertainty that exists. Uh, you know, we, we're confident the ADA applies, but there's not clear rules of the road for people with disabilities to enforce their rights, for ACB to advocate on behalf of our members, and for businesses and employers out there who want to do the right thing, but say that they don't know how because there's not clear guidance. Uh, now, fortunately, the Department of Justice does have on their calendar for May of 2023 to start a rulemaking for Title II of the ADA, which covers state and local governments, right? Well, that still leaves out Title III. That leaves out places of public accommodation, uh, which is a, a whole lot of things, um, whether it's, again, entertainment, healthcare, transportation, um, and, and so on, uh, restaurants, e-commerce, et cetera, et cetera. So also, we have been down this road with the Department of Justice saying that they will do a rulemaking before. They said that in 2010. That continued through 2015. Uh, President Obama's administration ended. President Trump's administration began with a new president. You get new priorities. And that rulemaking was never completed. So here we are with a new rulemaking starting. That needs to be completed by the end of 2024. And that'll provide some clarity, but Title III still remains. So this legislation uh, still remains a vital ad advocacy tool. SWATHA, and it's not only important for people who are blind and low vision, but it's important for the entire disability community. Yes. Um, so this can, there have been many instances for other people with disabilities, not just blindness, that um, kind of access barriers. Like, if you need captioning for a video or a song interpretation, you might not you or not use interpretation. Just just captioning. Um, the video players or in any websites that might not support it. Um, there's no standards that or there standards clear standards that cover that. Um, if you use a switch, like for your for um. Dexterity for dexterity for dexterity for his computer that doesn't always work with websites um, as they're built now. So 
what this bill is trying to do is it's trying to encompass and include all people who have disabilities, not just the blind and illusion community. And this is a really, this is really, this issue is, is really important to the community, and we are really united again, again in um, that's something that something needs to, needs to change. So that's you, Clark. Exactly, and for those reasons, uh, there are more than a hundred organizations, national, state, and local, from the blindness. Uh, the physical disability, the speech, cognitive, uh, mobility and dexterity communities who are all, the sensory disability communities who are all supporting this legislation along with the American Council of the Blind. So as you work with your state affiliates to schedule meetings with your members of Congress, your representatives, and your U.S. Senators. Encourage them to support and co-sponsor the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act. Let them know what it would mean to you to have equal access to all of the same benefits, resources, and advantages that everyone else takes advantage of on a daily basis. And help us advocate to ensure that the physical built environment, uh, the accessibility that exists in the physical built environment carries over to the virtual built environment. And I believe that's the end of our overview of the websites and software applications. Uh, I noticed in that video, I kept saying application or in that recording. Uh, we want more than just one software application to be accessible, folks. So websites and software applications, accessibility act. Uh, Swatha, anything that we did not cover or anything that you would like to highlight about this legislative imperative for our listeners? So I would highlight that this legislation kind of encompasses all people, people with disabilities, not just blindness. And I really emphasize that with your member of Congress and that this benefits all of us and that we all want this and need this to need this to be reality. How about you, Clark? Uh, you'd hit the nail right on the head. Uh, the other thing that I would add is that before introduction in 2022, last year, uh, ACB, along with our partners in the American Foundation for the Blind, National Disability Rights Network, or NDRN, as well as the National Federation of the Blind, were working very closely on drafting this legislation uh, with staff from Senator Duckworth, as well as Representative Sarbanes. And as Swatha mentioned, our partners in the, the broader cross-disability community. And that's why organizations, again, representing people with physical mobility and dexterity impairments support this legislation. Our friends and colleagues from the deaf and hard of hearing community support this legislation as well as organizations representing people 
with speech and communications disabilities and intellectual and cognitive disabilities. And as we approach the end of this opening segment, just to remind folks, that is only one of our four legislative imperatives. So we will have overviews on uh, all four of our legislative imperatives throughout our programming today and tomorrow. If you or your affiliates have questions about what you just heard regarding the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act, or in addition, uh, the what you're reading from the backgrounders on the ACB website, also available on the uh, the Washington Connection voicemail box read by the wonderful Sharon Lovering here on ACB staff, um, as well as on the, the DC Leadership website. I'm sorry if I already said that twice now. Uh, those materials are there to provide information to you all. If something is unclear or if you have questions, please email us at advocacy at acb.org. So Swatha, as we approach the end of this opening hour, and uh, one that I'll certainly remember for uh, the participation of Representative Debbie Dingle, we have our next session getting ready here this afternoon. Yep, we have deafblind advocacy with Kim Charlson and Carl Richardson, Richardson, and um, their guests as well. So. Megan Conway and Connie Sims. That's right, Swatha. And at this time, we'd like to turn it over to ACB's immediate past president, Kim Charlson. Kim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Can you hear me? We can yep. loud and clear. Super, super, super. Um, thank you, Clark. That was an interesting presentation and um, great job. Swatha, thank you to both of you for that. Um, I'm very pleased to be uh, moderating this panel this afternoon on deafblind advocacy. And as you can see from the program, we're taking a little bit of a different approach. This isn't a legislative imperative, but what we want to do today is help you as affiliate leaders to think about and incorporate the needs of people who are deafblind or perhaps think of them as dual sensory um, loss. Um, they experience dual sensory loss or they, I'm sure you can think of people in your affiliate that perhaps you didn't think of them necessarily as deafblind, um, but they may not be hearing as well as they used to and have age-related onset of hearing loss. And they have been visually impaired or legally blind for many years. And now they're coping with some hearing loss. So we have members who are deafblind or have dual sensory loss. And we wanna talk a little bit today with all of you about how you can remember to advocate for people who who are deafblind and kind of incorporate that into your advocacy toolkit. So I'm fortunate to have with me three great panelists who are gonna share 
their life experiences and also provide you with some guidance to take away from our session today. Many of you know me as immediate past president of ACB, and you know that I run a library in Massachusetts, the Braille and Talking Book Library at Perkins. But many of you may not know that I also supervise a program that Perkins operates called I Can Connect. And I Can Connect is the National Deafblind Equipment Distribution Program, which is a FCC funded program to provide people who have severe hearing or vision loss in, in, in um, combination, um, access to training and equipment to enable them to communicate and have two-way communication. So that could be on the phone, could be on the internet, it could be a doorbell, but it's two-way communication um, between people who have um, blindness and hearing loss or deafness. So this is an important issue for me, and it's especially an important issue for the people who you're going to hear from today. And I'm going to share who they are and then just um, give a little bit of background on each of them and then turn it over to them in the order that I introduce them. So today you're going to have the opportunity to hear from Dr. Megan Conway. Um, she works for the Helen Keller National Center in a supervisory position um, guidance, and she'll tell you a little bit more about that. She's currently based out of, I think it's Heldsburg, California, if I'm pronouncing that right. I apologize if I'm not. Um, and we're very pleased to have her with us. She is an, a member of ACB's Sight and Sound Impaired Committee and has many other credentials, including academic um, work at the University of Hawaii. Um, she'll be our first speaker. Then we'll hear from Connie Sims, who is no stranger to ACB. She's a member of the board of directors and has many credentials, particularly in the massage therapy field. Um, so many letters, it, it took a whole line to share her credentials. So um, and we got a good laugh out of that because she's certified um, in many different aspects of massage therapy and treatment and sports um, massage and all kinds of different things. And Connie is a member of the ACB Board of Directors, and she will share a little bit about her story and her guidance to you regarding advocacy for people who are deafblind. And finally, we'll hear from Clark Clark Richardson, there I go, Carl Richardson. Uh, Carl is uh, co-chair with me of the Audio Description Project. He is also co-chair with Karen Campbell of the SASE, Sight and Sound Impaired Committee of ACB. Carl's on the Boston Commission on Disability, the Disability Access Committee for the FCC, and he has so many credentials and lots of knowledge and he will also talk to you about his journey and his guidance and recommendations for you. So without further ado, I'm going to turn the microphone over to our first panelist today. And we do hope to leave a little time at the end to respond to any questions. And Clark, I think you said we had three hours or, oh no, I guess it's not three hours. It's for about 45 minutes, 2, 2.45 I think is our stop time. 
So we could probably go on for three hours, but we won't. So um, Megan, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. And please, again, share where you're currently working and your role there um, as you share with us your journey and your guidance for members of ACB today. Okay, hi there. Uh, this is Megan Conway. How is my sound? Pretty good, I think. Okay, um, because I do actually um, use my hearing aids. I wear hearing aids and they are Bluetooth enabled, uh, which is how I'm connecting to my iPhone today. Both um, acts just like a, um, like a headset, essentially. Sometimes the sound gets a little, um, a little off, but I'm glad it's, it's working well today. And um, I am currently the Director of Information Research and Professional Development at Helen Keller National Center. And uh, the center is located in Sands Point, New York, but we do have field services throughout the US. And I work from home in Healdsburg, California. I was previously a professor of disability studies at the University of Hawaii. And um, actually some of my first work with ACB was um, through work on audio description with a research project out of the um, University of Hawaii in collaboration with the National Park Service and ACB, which is um, ongoing work that I've actually continued at Helen Keller National Center. Uh, we're still collaborating on research uh, and in this case, I've been focused more on making sure that we consider the needs and perspectives of deafblind people as we think about um, descriptive. Um, actually, we in the deafblind world, um, we talk about image description, not just audio description, but that we're describing uh, what we see. So um, I, I'm going to give a little bit of professional speak at the start of this, um, just to give you a sense of what we mean when we talk about, you know, quote, deaf blindness or dual sensory loss. Uh, what are some very simple statistics around that, um, some implications? And then I'll um, try to squeeze in some of my personal experience as well. Um, I do have, um, I have been always deaf blind. Uh, however, I am, I tend towards the hard of hearing side of things, so I do communicate with speech. Um, and I have always um, been legally blind, although I've had fluctuations in both my vision and hearing over time. So there was a point in time where I lost a lot of hearing. Recently, it's really been my vision um, that's gone down considerably. So, um, you know, when I think of my identity, um, it's always kind of changing. Um, I've always had a I would say identified very much with the blindness community, had a lot of experience working at um, summer camps for blind people and really felt a deep connection to the, to the blindness community. However, I also definitely have a very strong connection with the deafblind community as well and, and work in the field now. Um, I think that a lot of people misunderstand the word deafblind. We try to use that word um, as an over, arching term because you know you need something particularly when you're talking about legislation for example there's the Helen Keller National the Helen Keller Act which establishes funding for the Helen Keller National Center uh, which provides services to youth and adults who are deafblind but that word deafblind uh, can refer to all the way from someone who is completely deaf and blind sort of the the Helen Keller type 
person, if you will. She's kind of the, the poster child, right, for people that are deafblind. All the way from that to someone who is low vision and hard of hearing, but is nevertheless significantly impacted by that combination of hearing and vision loss. Um, and at Helen Keller National Center, we do try to serve as wide a population of people as we as we can. We do use a federal definition of what is a deafblind person that talks about um, legal blindness. It talks about you know, functional functionality and so forth. So there are some guidelines around um, who might um, receive extensive services from Helen Keller National Center. Uh, but at the same time, we do see an increasing need in particularly the older adult population of people that acquire hearing and vision loss uh, and or hearing and or vision loss later in life and who still have a lot of, you know, are really impacted by that. And um, so we also try to address the needs of, of folks um, who are older and have acquired hearing and vision loss. I know um, quite a quite a number of, of folks that have been blind or low vision um, all their life, as Kim referenced, and who just like other older people acquire hearing loss later in life. And I think a lot of the time we don't acknowledge how that really impacts somebody, how it impacts your ability to um, be a blind person, which kind of leads me into the next thing, which is that having dual sensory loss, so having hearing loss plus vision loss is not the same as, it's not just like adding them up. It's like, oh, you're, you know, you're a blind person, you're a deaf person, you're hard of hearing, you have um, vision loss. It's like multiplying the two together because it, it very much impacts your ability to function as a blind person if you're also hard of hearing or deaf. So simple, I mean, you know, we, we know as blind people, we depend on our hearing. We depend on our hearing to cross the street safely, to, to locate where things are, to um, listen to our to, to information, um, to, to communicate with people, because we miss, you know, we're, we're depending on other kinds of cues other than looking at people's faces or knowing who's talking to us. And you add hearing loss, and all of a sudden, that becomes more complicated or in some cases impossible depending on, on the severity of your hearing loss. Um, the same with folks that are deaf and hard of hearing who may have depended on ASL to communicate or um, lip reading to communicate um, or visual information for, for safety. And you add vision loss and you are immediately challenging the ability to adapt to being deaf or hard of hearing. Um, so it has some just incredibly compounding effects that I think it's extremely important to recognize. And I know that some of the other folks on the panel are gonna give you some more examples of that. So I don't wanna um, go through you know, every example, um, but just to put that in your brain, uh, that it's deaf, when we talk about someone who's deafblind or someone who has dual sensory loss, we're talking about a very distinct disability that is, um, again, not the same as the two parts individually. Statistics-wise, um, one challenge we have in the deafblind community is there really are not very good consistent statistics. If you ask the question, how many people are deafblind in the United States? There's lots of different answers depending on what, what data you're, um, you're looking at. Um, if you look at the American Community Survey, which has a very 
general um, some general questions around you know does somebody have um, extreme difficulty? It doesn't use the word extreme. I think it's severe severe difficulty of seeing or severe difficulty hearing even with um, glasses or even um, you know with them. Um, hearing aids and so forth. Um, if you look at who answers yes to both of those questions, there's actually 2.4 million people or 0.75% of the population that does answer yes to, to that question in the United States, to both of those questions in the United States. Uh, and of those, about 65% are over the age of 65. Uh, so there is a very, again, as we, as we know, I mean, I think there's very consistent statistics that as you age, um, single and dual sensory loss um, does increase for the population. There is also some statistical evidence, some studies that have looked at whether or not people who have single sensory loss when they're younger are more likely to acquire a second loss than other people are as they age. And there is some evidence that that is the case. Um, I haven't seen like overwhelming evidence, but there is there are some studies that have looked at that and do suggest that if you are blind or low vision, you may be at an increased risk of, of acquiring hearing loss compared to, to people who are not blind and low vision. Um, that's some of the, the professional speak around being deafblind. Uh, on a personal level, like I said, I've always been deafblind. Um, I did, um, I grew up in California. I went to UC Berkeley forever. Uh, I got my undergrad and my PhD there in, uh, got my PhD in education and uh, was a professor at the University of Hawaii. I'm now in a leadership role at Helen Keller National Center. Um, I have a daughter. Um, I've done, I've traveled a lot. I've done a lot of things in my life. And, you know, when you look at me, I'm a, you know, successful person. I mean, Department of Rehab loves me because I always meet my goals. Um, and <laughs> I feel like their money's well spent <laughs> when they put money behind me. Um, and I, I do work hard. I've always, always worked hard. Um, but I, you know, I have to say that it's still like having um, the, the dual sensory loss, I, I've struggled, probably one of the big challenges I've had is just people understanding the impact of that. Um, even at, at Helen Keller National Center, where overall my experience has been, has been positive with the support that I've gotten there, um, it, there's still this, this um, I guess just a misunderstanding of, of how um, exhausting it is, how much effort it takes, how much I have to strategize and problem solve, you know, how just having the chirping crosswalk might not be enough for me to cross the street. I might need vibration or I might need to use additional information. Um, how listening all day long to things is, it's so exhausting for me. Um, I recently, I used to be able to use my vision a lot more. So I'd use large print and I could sort of go back and forth between listening to things and seeing things with magnification. And now the second option of seeing things has almost completely evaporated for me. So um, 
I'm having, I'm having at, you know, this later stage of my life learning Braille, um, which I love, by the way, but it's, you know, it's, it's a process. It's a whole another thing I'm adding to my, my portfolio of things I'm doing. I'm, I'm learning Braille. I had to redo my O&M training and uh, technology, learning JAWS, all of these things um, that I'm having to do now um, to adapt uh, yet again. And I think that if I would like sum up my life, I would say it's just been constant adaptation always. Um, and again, I know it's like that for anybody that's blind or low vision, um, but you, you add the hearing loss and it's just like adding a whole bunch more ingredients to the pot. And, and nobody can ever quite seem to figure out all the flavors that are working together. Um, so I, you know, I'm gonna sum it up because I know we don't have a lot of time, but in sum, I would just say, um, don't don't forget about your your um, you know those of us in the community that are deafblind or have dual sensory loss. We we have a lot of the same needs that you do in terms of accessibility and the need for advocacy. And then those are just additionally compounded by um, the degree to which we're we're really quite isolated. We're seen as a minority, but um, you know, many of you, um, if you don't already, will probably experience hearing loss at some point. Um, and we, we are a, an important part of your community. So I'm gonna stop there and, and turn it over to the next panelist. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. That was great. And I think Megan is, is a case in point as are all the people that we're gonna hear from today, but about why it's important to remember um, our members, friends, and colleagues who experience deafblindness to whatever degree. And many of them are fortunate to be people like Carl and Megan here today who are advocates and who can speak out. But there are many in this community who are struggling to cope with all the things that Megan told us about, that the adaptations, and perhaps are not being as successful and are much more isolated. So um, I want to recognize Connie to talk about her connection to the deafblind community and how that impacts her and what she does in, in her world in South Dakota, where she is the past president and the current first vice president of the South Dakota Association of the Blind and advocates all the time on a lot of different issues at the ACB national level, get up and get moving, all sorts of different things. She's active, she's busy. And Connie, welcome. Thanks, Kim. Um, very happy to be here. And Megan, it was just a wonderful presentation. So, and you know, Kim, and I hope we can do it a little bit different and maybe have you some ask some questions because I'll probably forget something. And so you can just <laughs> remind me <laughs> or things that you want me to say that I, I um, may not, you know. So, um, but yeah, so. I have been always an advocate um, and how I'm kind of connected is through my husband. Um, my husband is considered deafblind and he wasn't when we were mar first got married. Um, he was low vision. Um, and then one day he woke up and he couldn't hear. Um, he has a hearing condition that he has some surgeries. He was able to get a lot of his hearing back, um, but eventually it has gone 
worse, gotten worse. And then eventually he ended up losing all of his sight. Um, he is now totally blind. So um, he has hearing aids for both ears now and totally sight. He had to have both of his eyes um, removed. So he has the prosthesis. So when he doesn't have his hearing aids in, he does not hear much. And the thing is that he may go completely deaf someday. Um, so that is a concern for us. So it, it's been a kind of a change, but I guess I would say that we really adapted well. I, I feel like we um, kind of just, I don't want to say rolled with the punches, but we, we understood that we needed maybe to change a few things that we, you know, we had done, you know, most people have background noise in the background or you have your TV on or you have music on. Um, like nowadays we don't have excess um, sound in our house. You know, we'll watch our TV, um, we'll play music. Um, but when we're not watching a show or listening to music, we don't have it on in the background because it's too much um, noise for him. And it's harder for him to hear me. Even like if we were watching the news or a show um, and he wants to talk to me or I talk to him, we mute the, mute the sound or we turn the sound down so he's able to hear me or to hear each other. So it's, it's been a change. Um, but, you know, it's the advocacy part. Um, he has really adapted to it well. I mean, most people would not know that he has, a, you know, he's considered deafblind um, because he just, he goes out and he functions just like everyone else. And just like Megan or Carl or anyone else, you, you just learn to adapt to your surroundings and what you can do. Um, you talked about the I connect, I can connect, and we have used that their service. Um, South Dakota doesn't go through the Perkins. We go through um, a company called Dakota Link that um, uses the I can connect. But one of the things that we got through, um, he got through the I connect, is a Braille Note Touch Plus. And it's been a lifesaver. I wouldn't say a lifesaver, but it is a lifesaver for him. He uses it as a laptop, as a communication. And the nice thing about that is that he can do Braille on it and it can come out as print. Um, so it's, it's such a wonderful communication device that you can use, he can type as a regular you know, computer screen, or if he wants to do Braille, he can do the Braille. So he has the option of doing both ways. Um, he uses it for all his Zoom meetings. Um, and, you know, you can get phones, you can get computers, you can get, you know, um, so many different products through the ICANN Connect. So it, it's a wonderful program. And I really encourage people to reach out um, to Perkins, I think there's like 28 states. Is that correct, Kim? I think that offer this. 
I think it's 23 that work with Perkins. I believe it's eight with Helen Keller. And then most of the other states are independent like South Dakota is and has an agency within their state that provides the service. And they might collaborate with Perkins for acquiring the equipment or something like that. But absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's just it's just a wonderful program. I mean, um, the other thing that South Dakota has is we have what's called the Center for Disabilities um, and inside part of their program is they have a deaf blind program. So anyone from um, a baby child to adults can go there if, and get any type of services or advocacy help they may need. Um, so that's another option. So you, you wanna go out and you wanna look for the advocacy or what you can do to help through that program. You know, South Dakota has, um, our service of blind and visually impaired. So that helps address some of the deafblind, but then we are separate from our Department of Rehabilitation. So you kind of fall under part of both programs um, in South Dakota. Um, but talking about, you know, you know, Megan talked about traveling in the APSs. Um, so Sioux Falls does not have a lot of APSs. We're getting more all the time. Um, and that's one of my big advocacy um, concerns. And I'm on um, one of our city's pedestrian advisory committees. And one time you we were talking about APSs and, and crossing. And I brought up that, you know, APSs are supposed to vibrate and we could have that. And they looked at me like I was nuts. And I said, yeah, you know, our APSs are old. Um, they're not some of the most current stuff. And I said, you know, they need to vibrate for the death. You know, they need to have updated ones. So they have now started looking into that. But, you know, he, when he travels or when we travel, um, noise really bothers him. You know, I don't know about Carl or Megan, but the louder the noise is, the harder it is for him. So like when we go out walking, we don't like to walk on a lot of the main streets because the traffic is so loud. So it actually is distracting and hard for him to walk. Um, He does still travel by himself some, um, especially like more in the residential areas. But, you know, the louder the traffic, the harder it is. And that's even harder to hear the APSs. And that's why the vibrating Um, is so important. And going out to eat, we don't, you know, we don't go out to eat. um, So like that much, and part of it's, you know, we like our home cooking. um, As Brian, you know, the wonderful chef, I wish I could taste some of his food, but um, I've heard, but, you know, restaurants are hard because most restaurants, the music is going or the crowd is really loud. And you know, some people will say, you know, he doesn't say anything. Well, he can't hear in a restaurant. I have hard, I have good hearing and I have a hard time hearing in a restaurant. So imagine someone that has a hearing impairment or is deaf, how hard it is for them to go out into a public place. So when you, you know, you went friends or family, you really want to advocate and say, you know, yeah, it's great to go out and do a fun things, but think about, can you really socialize? 
um, and enjoy each other's company. So, yeah, definitely, Connie, Um, you hit on so many real life experiences that, you know, where the rubber hits the road is where you are, you're, you're really, um, you're living it with Seth and, and trying to make everything work. So I think you gave some really practical, thoughtful um, tips for people today to kind of incorporate, even when you're thinking about your chapter meetings or your, or your state conventions, think about how you can make it easier and allow people who have hearing loss and vision loss to participate and be a part of it and not always say they come, but they don't ever say anything. There's a reason why they don't say something. They're not getting the full experience. And that's, that's unfortunate. And we all need to learn how to do a better job of making sure that they are going to get the experience. So that's thank, so true. You, thank you, Connie, so, so much. I think that yeah. was great, great guidance and um, and good practical um, suggestions for things for people to remember as they advocate on accessible pedestrian signals to, to remember, yes, we are supposed to be installing ones that vibrate. Um, and that just came up in, in my town for um, some people who live in a um, in the uh, disability housing on the other side of town. And there's a bus stop right in front with a, with a light. And that particular signal where deafblind people live didn't have vibrating signals. So we've arranged with the city to, um, to put on their plan as soon as possible to make sure that, you know, as they replace signals that they're putting in. And if there's a specific location where there are people who are deafblind trying to cross the street to catch the bus all the time, it should be a priority. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's just it. You know, just always don't just think about, you know, we have a vision issue, but think about, like you said, when we get older or Megan said, you know, we're all going to probably have hearing issues. So think about what you'd want when you get older or you have hearing or maybe a family member have. So it's just absolutely. Thanks, Connie. Thank you. All right. Carl. Um, Carl lives in Boston, where we live about three miles from each other. And we advocate on a lot of issues all the time. Carl is the ADA coordinator for the Massachusetts State House, and he has a lot of impact on accessibility there at the State House and on policy. Although I'm not supposed to say he's influential. I think he's pretty influential most of the time. And, um, and that's, you know, that's his day job, but his advocacy is, is far and wide with, as I said, audio description, um, guide dog access. Um, he just got back from ski for light, which is an experience in itself for someone who's deafblind, but they manage it very well and make all the accommodations he needed to participate fully. So Carl, Help us learn a little more and kind of tell us your journey and what you recommend for people to become better advocates for their members and friends and colleagues who are deafblind. Okay, great. So welcome. I'm in Toronto, Canada today uh, doing some sightseeing. And uh, but I decided to take a break because I thought this was important to join in. So I'm not so much going to focus on my uh, journey as a deafblind person, other than to say that I would 
born with Usher syndrome too. I always knew I was part of hearing, and but I didn't. So I've been wearing hearing aids since about three, four years old, but I didn't become legally blind till I was in my early 30s. And now in my mid 50s, I'm almost completely blind. So like Megan said, it's been an evolution and full of adaptation. I'm gonna focus more on how to advocate and why it's important to think of those who are deaf blind, or I might even use the phraseology dual sensory loss, because I think when you approach a legislator and say deaf blind, they are gonna think of the uh, Helen Keller and the, who's the other world famous one before uh, Helen Keller, him, Laura. Oh, Laura Bridgman. Laura Bridgman. The they're first, think, yeah. <laughs> right, they're they're going to think of those type of deafblind, because deafblind means more profound. If you say dual sensory loss, that's something I think everybody can appreciate. And I didn't really understand the full impact of that until recently I gave a presentation on over-the-top counter, over-the-counter hearing aid for the Bay State Council of the Blind. And many people joined the call who I did not know are now hearing aid users because they have aged into it. So they, according to the D CDC and John Hopkins University, as many as potentially 20% of the population is hard of hearing or deaf. And according to statistics, as many as maybe 7 million people in the United States are blind and visually impaired or low vision. If you use 20% of 7 million, that's 1.4 million. So we're not an insignificant number of people. If you include the deaf and hard of hearing community, which is 20% of the United States, that's 66 million. The other thing to think about is um, when you have a dual sensory loss, people that have a dual sensory loss have a much higher rate of cognitive impairment because it, it's a challenge to make everything add up when you are dual sensory loss. So you also have that community. So deafblind encompasses a lot of different communities. And that's what I want to focus on when you approach your legislator, okay? I'm going to, as, as Kim mentioned, I am the ADA coordinator for the State House. So I'm going to use a lot of stuff from my experience there because I think it extrapolates to that at the federal level because I don't know the statistics of legislation at the federal level. But at the state level, we get an average of 7,000, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, 7,000 bills introduced every legislative session. Only 200 to 250 make it into law every session, which means 6,700 don't. And it takes an average of seven years for a bill to become law in Massachusetts. I have a feeling it's even worse at the federal level, but those are statistics you can extrapolate. Only a small portion of the legislation that gets introduced will actually get passed. And in today's um, divided government at the federal level, it's probably even smaller, okay? At least in Massachusetts, we have a super majority. So if, if the whatever side agrees most likely going to get passed if it's the Democratic side of Massachusetts. But so, how do you approach your legislator then? Do it. And because of it, I've spoken to many legislators and they get bored with statistics and fact sheets and because they've got 7,000 bills to think of. So, what do they want to hear? They want to hear stories that come from the heart, that come from compassion. 
and they love it when legislation they're going to pass can impact more than one community, which goes back to why I said blind, low vision, deaf, hard of hearing, cognitive impaired. And the four imperatives that we are looking at, that Clark and Fwatha and others are talking about and educating this community about, can all impact those, these, all those communities greatly. And I'll quickly go over how. The CVTA, the 21st Communication Video Telecommunications Act, that's my favorite for various reasons. For those of you who know, I'm a huge lover of film and television, and that has audio description. So that, to me, is the sexy part. But it's actually a very, very small part of the CVTA. It impacts the DeafBlind National Distribution Equipment Program for Kim. And if you talk to the folks at the FCC, that's their favorite part because it allows people to communicate. I once got a thought, heard a story from a mother of a DeafBlind individual who was crying because she was telling me now she was able to communicate with her child. Can you imagine not being able to communicate with your child? Now she can because of this program. It covers captioning for the deaf and hard of hearing. It covers advanced telecommunication um, for all of us, accessible cell phone, um, video, and, and, and voice relay for the deaf and hard of hearing who use relay services so that they can communicate over the telephone or over the internet or over their computers. Um, I'd even, so um, the CBTA, when you go there, don't just argue on behalf of the blind community, argue on behalf of the blind, deaf blind, um, and all other communities, okay? Same thing, you heard Clark a few minutes ago talk about the, and I'm, I don't have the imperative up me, so I'm getting up in front of me, so I'm going to butcher some of their names. But the Web Accessibility Act, Internet Accessibility Web Act, or something like that. Um, same thing. If it's not screen reader friendly, um, blind people can't use it. But if it's not screen reader friendly, deaf blind people who use Braille output can't use it because they can't hear jobs. If it's not accessible, those who are low vision and hard of hearing can't read the captions. And again, we're talking about a wide spectrum. And the thing about the dual sensory loss community, even when both are mild, meaning the hearing or the vision loss are both mild, when you combine them two, those two together, it becomes significant. And it's like one plus one equals three all day as you intake information and you're constantly spending the whole day trying to make everything add up to two. That's what I feel like. Why? This doesn't make sense. I've got to make it make sense. I spend the whole day trying to make information make sense. The Web and Accessibility Act, if it passed, would help me make information make sense. So would the CBTA. Same thing with medical devices. Those of us who have disabilities are often more health compromised than those who do not. And the Non-Visual Medical Act, I believe it's called. And that would greatly impact the deafblind community because chances are devices would vibrate to let you know when the result is ready. Um, it would be screen reader friendly, so it could do braille output. It might have amplification for those who are hard of hearing, but also those who are blind need the, the audio output. So that's another way. And then the last act is the exercise equipment. Is that right, Kim? Yes, it's fitness, uh-huh, fitness equipment. 
Um, I need to work on this myself. <laughs> but um, it's a work in progress. I will tell you, I have a bike that I bought from a certain friend of mine. And sometimes it is a challenge to figure out how to increase the levels of exercise on this bike. And it would be more helpful if I were able to control my health so that I didn't have to have physical conditions alongside my deaf blindness and my potential cognitive impairment. So I guess what I'm getting at is look at everything you're advocating for and seeing how it will go across all areas of disability. Because when you approach your legislator, if you tell them, hey, it's not only going to impact the blind community, it's going to impact those with dual sensory loss, it's going to impact the deaf and the hard of hearing community, it's going to impact those with cognitive abilities, it's going to impact, it'll have a much better chance of passing because you just told them it went from 7 million people to 66 million people or something to that effect. And also try to tell a personal story like Connie did on why the use of vibrating APSs are important to her so that her and her husband can simply walk in their own neighborhood. Think about it. If you tell a legislator, you can't walk in your own neighborhood because you don't have APSs, tomorrow they would install APSs, okay? So for themselves. So try to make it personal. Try to make it cross disability because um, they have a lot of bills and a lot of priorities and a lot of other commitments and constituents to think about. So make it unique so that they do not forget you when you advocate for the deaf and hard of hearing community. And real quick, Kim mentioned something about making meetings more accessible. There are a number of things you can do. Reserve the first row for those who are deaf and hard of hearing. I know a lot of people like to get the meetings and sit so they can, but for those who have a dual sensory loss, reserve the first row at all your chapter meetings for those. Or if somebody says, I need to sit up front because I'm hard of hearing, let them. If you can't afford ALDs, everybody is now zooming stuff. I don't think ALDs is the best, but everybody's now zooming that stuff. People can log on to Zoom and use their own smartphone as an ALD, okay? So that, that's something you could educate your deafblind constituents about, okay? Um, and there are other things you can do. Um, feel joined to join the SASE email list and ask questions. If you have questions about how to make your community event and, and things more accessible and how to advocate uh, for legislative priorities. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carl. And um, I'm not sure if we have time for any questions, um, if we've gotten any, or the facilitator can let me know. We might have um, maybe time for one or two questions, if there are any for the panelists today. There are a couple of questions. Time would be up. Not to me to say what. <laughs> well, I'm I'm check. I think we have five more minutes, and I'll um, I'll defer okay. to Clark if he comes and tells me I don't. But I think, I think we we're might. over at quarter till. I think the connection yeah. starts at quarter till, which means you yes. have like a less than seconds. a minute. Seven. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a couple questions. No, thirty oh, seconds. She said thirty seconds. Oh, thirty seconds. Oh my goodness, I'm not a very good moderator here. I wasn't listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, 
given given the fact we don't really have time for questions, please, if you do have questions, feel free to send them to me at kimcharlson at acb.org. Just my first and last name, Kim Charlson, nothing in between for my ACB email address. And I'll be happy to, um, to share those with our panelists today um, and have them respond to any questions you might have. Hopefully we've given you some, some good um, suggestions and things you can do at the local level to be more inclusive and really open up and embrace people with dual sensory loss and make them a part of your organization, your chapter, your affiliate. And that was our goal today. And I hope we were successful. So thank you, um, Megan, Connie, and Clark, or Carl, as I call him. <laughs> Kim, please tell me you're doing that as a joke and you're not really. One, one time was a joke. <laughs> one time was an accident. The first time, but the second time was a joke. I've only known you 30 more years than I've known Clark. You've known Clark. But anyway, okay. It, it, it's, it's a strange phenomenon, I have to admit. So, but thank you to all of you for um, for sharing so much great information and um, go out there and advocate on these issues. Like Clark Carl said, um, <laughs> it's, it's, Kim, I'll uh, jump in and save you here. This thank is, you, this Carl. Is Clark, everyone. <laughs> so, all thank right. You, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Right, thank you to your vacation, Carl. Thank I'm you to the panel and thank you to all of the panelists as well. In addition to reaching out to Kim, I encourage folks to reach out to the ACB SASE committee as well. Uh, if you have questions or want to include more thoroughly people with dual sensory loss, we're going to leave now for a connection show and then we will be back with our next panel at 3 p.m. Eastern time. All right. Well, here we are. It is the second connection show of the day and con connection show number eight, Lucy. So wow. uh, yeah, this is it, you know. Yeah. Um, so I thought we were going to end up losing some of our time, but no, we got it. We got it back. All right. I don't know if David is here. I didn't see I'm him. Here. You oh. are there. Wonderful. All right. So we are going to have Janet go first, if that's okay. And then David, you. So Janet. All right, David. All right. I'm taking Talk all your convention. time. Talk convention. <laughs> all right. Are you guys tired of hearing about the convention yet? Heck no. 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 All right. No. All right, so today so I'm going to talk about tours, which is almost everybody loves tours. So the first thing I want to say is you cannot register for the tours yet. You have to wait till registration opens, which is on May 18th. And trust me, I've already had many people emailing or calling me saying, can I register for the tours today? Not quite. <laughs> and as far as tour pricing is concerned, we're still working on the final pricing and that should be out by the end of March. So I'll post that information to the list as soon as I have it. But I can talk to you about what we have scheduled. And I have to say a huge thank you to Rhonda Trotter, tour coordinator. Without her assistance, we would not have these tours. And she does an outstanding job getting these set up. So thank you to Rhonda. All right. Friday, June 30th. 
we have two tours and you can go to both of these tours because they are consecutive, not concurrent. And the first one is to the Science Museum. And anybody who's ever heard anything about the Science Museum, one of the things you get to do is go down into a coal mine. They have many other exhibits that you'll get to participate in. It's a day long tour, including a lunch. That evening, we are doing a mystery dinner theater where you'll get to hear what the clues are, interact with the actors and actresses, and try to figure out who done it along with having a lovely dinner. On Saturday, we have two tours. We are going to um, Bangs Lake, which is about 20 minutes from the hotel, and it is a nice smallish lake with a lifeguard. We'll have some, hopefully some pontoon rides. We'll have some lunch. We'll have some beach games. We do need to let people know if they have a guide dog, they cannot bring the dog in the water. That is health policy, and we have to stick to that. So no, no swimming dogs. Uh, we are also going to the Holocaust Museum, and that is very interesting because the focus on this museum is based on what happened in Poland, which are things you don't really hear about as much when you talk about Holocaust. Both these tours will include a lunch. On Sunday, we are going tubing down a river in uh, Indiana, about an hour and a half from the hotel, and that will include lunch. That is also a no guide dog tour because we're going to be on the river for quite a while. The dogs can't go on the river and you certainly wouldn't want to leave the dogs on the bus. So you'll have to have someone watch your dog if you go on that tour. We are also going to the History Museum in Chicago, and they have a lot of Chicago history, of course, Chicago Fire, you know, anything pertaining to Chicago. It's a very interesting tour. Uh, on Monday, we are doing our, we're calling our, our Pizza and Gangster Tour, where we're going to three different locations, one of which is Harry Carey's Pub, and we're going to learn about about um, get some samples of pizza and learn about the gangster time in the city of Chicago. We are also going to the Mexican-American Art Museum that day, including a catered lunch from a Mexican restaurant. And you might wonder what an art museum has to offer for a group of blind people, but they're going to make everything as tactile as possible and very descriptive. On July 4th, we are going to um, a winery tour where we'll visit two wineries in southern Wisconsin. Uh, we are also going to a White Sox game that evening. Unfortunately, those two tours are concurrent, so you would not be able to go to the White Sox game if you go to the winery, so you have to choose. Uh, we did talk about a tour of Soldier Field that day. Unfortunately, that's not going to work out, so we will have the White Sox game that evening. On Wednesday, we're doing three different tours. We are going to the Museum of Broadcast. We are going to Horizons for the Blind. And we are going to uh, Long Grove Confectioners, which is our candy tour. On Thursday, after voting and general session, we are going to the Goodman Theater for an audio described live performance of Tommy with a meet and greet prior to the play with actors where you get to see the costumes and some of the sets. 
And finally, on Friday, July 7th, we are going to the San Filippo collection where we will get to have hands on with calliopes, with music boxes, with a carousel, with trains that you can get on and off, with pipe organs. I mean, they have so many things there. It's an amazing place. And we will end the convention with a tour on Lake Michigan on the Odyssey uh, boat, which is a luxury yacht where we will have a plated dinner. So that wow. is the tours in a nutshell. You think we have enough tours? Think we got oh my sound God. amazing. I, I, I want to go. There yeah. are oh. some, I rarely ever go on the tours, yeah, but there I are never three you to, mentioned. There are a lot. I was um, to <laughs> hotel rates at the Renaissance are $98 plus wow. tax. That's a good deal. It is a good mm-hmm. deal. It really is. Uh, and their phone number is on acbconvention.org and on every email I send out. Um, also, you do need to make your reservations by June 8th to make sure you get our rate, to subscribe to the convention announce list where you'll get all my convention previews. Send a blank email to acbconvention plus subscribe at acblists.org. If you have questions, call me 651-428-5059 or email me directly at janet.dickelman, D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail.com. And that is, and I'm sure I'll be on some community calls and I'll be sending out a lot of convention information. So I'll let my friend David Trot speak for a few minutes. All right. You don't have much time now, David. All right. Zip on (laughs) in and let's talk about Braille Forum. Okay. Sell them, sell them, sell them. I I did promise you another little bit of trivia, Monday. Oh, yes, you did. Uh, The person who started our ACB Braille Forum (laughs) raffle was a longtime member of ACB, and she was really dedicated. She was a board member, uh, was the late Billie Jean Keith. And we'll never forget the work that Billie Jean did for ACB and for starting the Braille Form Rifle. Again, folks, we, we need you in there. We've got only 500 tickets to sell. I'm hearing from states where they may use some of their funding to buy tickets already. So people are getting excited about it. They're $50 each. There are three prizes. Uh, third prize is $500, second prize is $1,000, and the grand prize is $5,000. Uh, the tickets are $50 each, but you can join with up to four people and uh, split the prize and the price of the ticket. Uh, again, call the Minnesota office. Uh, Nancy and, and her staff will be more than happy to help you. Uh, we just We just look forward to seeing... How many tickets, Alan Peterson, our biggest ticket seller of all times is Alan. Uh, if you ever want to be thankful to anyone for the success of the Braille Form Raffle, his name has to be up there. Sorry for my dog. Well, there's some thank yous right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, just, uh, just remember, 500 tickets. One of right. those winners be you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna win one of those. Yeah, I, I just maybe it. Lucia. Since I plan to win, we should go in on one. I well, you know, you know, we might want to talk about that. that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, David. Uh, and, oh, by the way, Sandy. Yes. You know, we're gonna be 
we're going to be in Chicago and you know, they had all these mobsters up there. So <laughs> you and Lucy, you know, might want to touch my hand with a little green sip. I could help y'all with your possibilities. <laughs> 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 you're you're wanting to get us into trouble that's what i think <laughs> but we we plan on getting some tickets uh purchased because uh you got to buy one to win and right. i plan to win so <laughs> uh, and alan alan actually has an uncanny record of winning tickets but of course he's selling a lot of them so the odds are in his favor to have them and I usually go straight to the Minneapolis office, so I'm hoping the odds will shift a little. <laughs> um, but awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you soon, too, David. So, yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Uh, wanted to quickly but slowly uh, remind people how you can check out the mini mall. You can go to acbminimall.org if you need assistance with placing an order or if something is sold out and you want to make sure you're on the list for when they do reorders you may call our Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242 I was told I was rattling it off way too fast so hopefully that slowed it down good. I guess um, I did that too. I rattled it off. So I, I was told you did better than me. So oh. there you go. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. All right. Why don't you tell us what's happening in the next two hours, hours hour yeah. and 45 minutes. Yeah. Okay. 3 p.m. is self-advocacy uh, of older Americans with vision loss. And that's with Anisio Correa. And then at 3.45, we have accessible at-home testing with Dr. Jill Heemskirk uh, from Washington, D.C. and President Dan. And then we're back here at 4.45. All right. Very, very good. Nicely done there. Uh, <laughs> you did good, I yeah, must I'm say. I'm getting good at this now. <laughs> also, if anything that's mentioned here, you missed it, you you missed the way to subscribe for the convention email or the website or phone number for the mini mall or anything, and you're just not sure, if you email community at acb.org, uh, we are so happy to either reply or forward your email to the appropriate place. So keep that in mind. It's an easy email address, community at acb.org. And we would just be delighted to help you out. Uh, and then also, if you are interested in becoming a member of ACB, you're listening in Clubhouse or on uh, ACB Media and you're wondering about membership, check out our website at acb.org and go to the affiliate page and you can learn all about our affiliates or you can join as a member at large and we would be so happy to have you join the ACB family and I guess that's it for us yeah so, yeah all right. uh, Clark we're ready to toss it your direction <laughs>